What's up, guys? It's Ronnie. Before we get into this episode today, I want to talk to everyone about a truly life-changing product. As most of you know, part of our plan here in the lounge is to get in better shape, most importantly, stretch and have better mobility. The So Right Deep Tissue Massager is helping us with that immensely. So Right is designed to target your psoas muscle, and if you're like me, you have no clue what that muscle even is. Luckily, I'm here to tell you all about it. It's a muscle that goes from your lower back around your pelvis, and it connects to your femur. Now, I've learned since using this product that the psoas is a very, very important muscle, not only in golf, but pretty much life in general. If you're doing any type of walking or running, this product is a thousand percent for you. The Sorite is so versatile, and you can deep tissue massage not only your psoas, but pretty much any other muscle on your body. They have a bunch of other tools to help you target your any problem areas, as well as also a whole line of CBD products. Go check them out at, at so right on Instagram. That's at so underscore right. And their website, sowright.com. That's P-S-O-R-I-T-E.com. And today you're going to get 10% off with the promo code LEFTIES10. Check them out, guys. You will not be disappointed. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of the Lefties Lounge Podcast. By the end of Saturday, it was we need to take out the young team. We need to take out the lefties. Yeah. Then I was like, you know what? Fuck. I would love to throw my club in the fucking water. I can't even tell them that I have a podcast, which is terrible <laughs> for the podcast brand, but I'm about to light these guys up. <laughs> All right, guys, we have a very, very special interview in place. But before we get into that, me and Frank, you're going to break down a little PGA. What's going on, Frank? What's up, man? How we doing? Oh, you know, just getting a lot of texts and uh, a lot of backlash for, for Spieth again. But, we're, you know, <laughs> we're going to get into that shit first. How, is, uh, how have you been? It's been a little while. Been good, man. John, John's on vacation, so so, and we I figured we did this interview together, which I'm very very excited for. Um, so we'll just break down this PGA week, and uh, yeah, how the hell are you? Good, man. Yeah, the interview um, was awesome. Uh, Ryan Hoffman of the CSGA, man. I I, <laughs> I learned a lot about what they do. I yeah, think uh, sure. I think it's like one of those things that people, um, you know, know about the association and and know that they're a big piece of, you know, what happens in, in the state for golf. But, uh, yeah, you know, I hope the listeners got as much out of it as, as I did, because there was a lot of things that, that I think both of us learned, you yeah, know, for stuff sure. about handicap, stuff about courses, you know, the yeah. setup of stuff. So, uh, Possib- yeah, possibly cool. new goals for, uh, for some of us, maybe getting into a couple of tournaments. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. You might see us out there, uh, yeah, on yeah, tour, yeah, on exactly. tour, <laughs> Yeah. Anyways, man, what else is new? I know you got a big, uh, the fittings here. Yeah. It's basically dude, this here. weekend, man, this weekend. Yeah. Um, I know we were, we were, uh, talking before the pot a little bit about it, but yeah, this weekend, um, first, first ever fitting for, yeah. uh, for deuce over here. So I'm, yeah. I'm, ex- I'm a little like, I don't know. I was asking you before, like what to expect. Cause I've never done it. Like I've only bought, it's crazy. You know, I've played golf for, uh, you know, I don't know, 20 years. And I've only, <laughs> I've only ever bought like real one real set of clubs. Yeah. Um, 
and uh, that was like 15, 16 years ago. So it's oh. time for time for an upgrade. This is going to be exciting because I think you're going to appreciate them a little bit more. You uh, you worked your ass off during the fantasy season to, right. to get yourself right. in that position. And uh, yeah, it just I, I feel like this one's really going to make a difference for you. Um, I sure excited, hope so, excited to see what happens, too. So. I'm gonna, I don't, I don't know what to wear. I don't know what to bring. I don't know <laughs> yeah. if I should like bring you snacks and like water and like, I'm going to, I'm basically going to be your caddy slash hype man. Like, do I bring fun. my own clubs? Like, do I bring my clubs? <laughs> yeah, I think you do. I, like, think, I, don't we, even I, know. I think that's a really good question though. I think you do just in case. Right. Um, okay. You know, maybe they'll have you do a couple stock shots and just be like, wow, those clubs really are 15 years old. Yeah, exactly. Those and, Tommy uh, armors. It's let's time get to, you, yeah. let's get you into something a little more modern. Modern. <laughs> yeah. Well, after I walk out of of, uh, of Chris Cody's golf shop, I, I never want to see my my you know uh, 2000, 2008, 2007 Tommy <laughs> well, Armors, whatever they are. I don't even know what, what we're gonna have to. Actually, they're older than that. We might put something up on Instagram, like closest, uh, closest person to give us the actual value of the clubs. We'll have them assess them, uh, gets the clubs. I think that would be, uh, and you'll sign them of course. Like that would be a big thing (laughs) down the road. Who knows what they're, yeah. (laughs) So funny. Um, so yeah, dude, big, big PGA weekend. Let's get right into it. Cause I don't want to, I don't want to take too much of the time. But there's a lot to talk. I mean, I feel like every week there's just more and more and more to get into with the PGA. We've been getting really lucky that way. Um, Daniel Berger down the stretch, just he played his ass off on Sunday, man. Um, when a lot of guys weren't, you know, there was a lot of guys up top that just really couldn't put anything together. My boy Jordan, he didn't play the best, you know, but he didn't play that bad. He was two under. He couldn't. He could not putt. He could not do anything on the back nine. I felt like he just struggled for most of the day. Um, what did you think of the whole thing? Uh, yeah, it was. It was. Uh, it was a fun day to watch. You're right. I mean, going into it, you and I um, were texting, and I said, you know, looking at the leaderboard, there's one guy to watch, and it's Cantley. And, yeah. Uh, you know. Can't really play well. Uh, he, you know, he shot four under, like he shot 68. But, um, yeah, Berger was just was just too good. Everyone else up there was like, I, you know, it was one of those days where he just didn't think they, they had it uh, or right. that they would, you know, they were going to win this. Um, like, Homo was up there, and he struggled right out of the gate. Um, there were a few other guys that you're just like, eh, you know, like Lashley, and we can get into to Lashley. <laughs> yeah, that four pot. I mean, but, my God. But yeah, like Tom Hoagie, like there was just guys yeah. up there that I was like, you know, if uh, if I'm being honest and, and watching it, I'm hoping that they're not going to win. You know, I'm hoping right. that Jordan or, or even Cantley, you know, take it. But, you know, J- Jason Day finished side seventh, which again is kind of a blast from the past a little bit. Like, I feel Did like- he look not like Jason Day either? Yeah, I oh, felt like he, yeah, dude, dude, I, I thought the same thing. I thought the he same looked. Thing. I was, <laughs> I was doing something Saturday, and I was talking to uh, Dave, my cousin, um, also known as the Arborist. Uh, but he, I was just telling him that Jason Day kind of looked like all of us coming out of quarantine. He had a huge, <laughs> he had a little extra weight. It looked like he had, you know, the big fluffy beard and like a new style, like that he was trying out during quarantine, but yeah, he looked way more Hawaiian than he ever has ever. <laughs> like, so they, I don't know. 
they like they didn't show him that much, which I noticed. <laughs> which yeah. like for T seven, you know, like only a few shots off the lead, like it, the guy. Maybe that like was that name. was that was a Purposeful. request from yeah, him. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, I'm not doing so well. Just hey guys, I'm just like, working on a few things, yeah, like yeah. you know. <laughs> but yeah, no, they they showed him at one point, and um, you know, they they're like, oh, Jason Day putting for birdie or something, right. and I and I thought they had it wrong. Like I was like, that's not Jason Day. I thought the same exact thing. <laughs> right. The flat, the flat brim hat threw me off. Yeah, the big yeah. beard. Um, <laughs> just he looked like taller. I don't know. <laughs> like everything about it was just weird. Yeah. It didn't look yeah. like Jason Day at all. I was totally thrown off. <laughs> yeah. So how um, about how about uh, how about Lashley? Since I oh my god, yeah, we'll go into Lashley. He, dude, great story. I, I kind of he's thirty eight years old. I thought he was younger. Um, he sold real estate in like 2012. Like he's got a crazy story. Came back and won. Um, that's is that? Do you have you heard that story? We no, might have to I, get into it at I'm another being, point. If I'm being honest with you, I've never heard of him. In my yeah, life. I just wanted to see to make sure I was saying the right thing. But um, I'm pretty sure that he has some crazy story. We might get into him, his story at a later date. Um, but yeah, dude, he was playing lights out until that dreaded four putt it wasn't yo, even an f and three putt it was an f and four <laughs> putt <laughs> yo the, he was uh yeah he was playing so well and he uh when he grabbed a share of the lead there for for a second and for a he, while yeah and then uh yeah the four putt man i love how he threw his club up in there twice like he just tossed his club in there and caught it, it. was i couldn't believe it i could and but the thing was if you go back and watch it like i had to watch it a couple times because it was just like a very relatable and like B it's like, how does, so before he four putt, he was leader in strokes gain putting. Of so he, he was, was. putting <laughs> lights out, dude, like completely lights out. And then he did that. Like how, how do you do that as a professional golfer? That just shows you how much like nerves. I think Daniel Berger said it like playing in a round that you're, you have a chance to win is like, playing golf with a heart attack or yeah. like while you're having a heart attack so it's obviously true but gosh that was that was brutal to watch but they were all they were all tough putts though like i don't think any of yeah. us could have just knocked one like it was a tough pin location and even so. that fourth putt was not like uh no, it wasn't it a wasn't a gimme and he almost <laughs> and it almost like he almost pulled it you know it was like you're just like sitting there he, he yeah. you know he clearly had like a sigh of relief but yeah, no, the heart attack thing is is so true, and I think <laughs> there are a few guys like and I don't, I don't, yeah, this is the way he plays. But Tom Hoagie, he obviously he was in the he was in the final group with Spieth, right? So right, he was um, he plays kind of, I don't know, he like he's a little bit all over the place. If you mm. watch him play, he's like he's oh, constantly yeah. fidgeting with his clubs. It's obviously like the way he gets comfortable getting into a shot. He's but like man, a Keegan Bradley kind yeah, of like just like. like yeah. His club's like moving, 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 and then it just goes, right. which is like his cue to go, which is fine. But again, like watching him play and then him with Lashley there too, you're just like two guys that I'm like, who are these guys? Exactly. They, they, both, <laughs> exactly. Like, they both look kind of awkward. Like they're not your like typical. Yeah. Not like, ready. Not ready for the limelight. That's for sure. Um, Lashley kind of held himself a little better than Hoagie, but yeah. I mean, so let's get into Berger. Um, the guy just, he played so well on Sunday. It was incredible. And not only just today, he has had, I think, in the last 15 starts, he's got a win, four top three finishes, ten, six top 10 finishes, and 11 top 25s. 
So that's like a pretty solid year he's, worth of just quietly too. Yeah. Like he, yeah, he's, uh, he's turning. What into, do we think about him this year? Like, I mean, do you I think, think he has it? Quietly, quietly one of the best players in the world and playing yeah. maybe better than anyone in the world. I think a year ago he was like 130th on in the world golf ranking. And now he's 13th, something like that. That's Might not have been that high. Could have been, but he was in the hundreds, I believe last year at this time. So just crazy to see him. Um, I still don't know how I feel about him. Like I, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if I had no emotion just because my boy didn't pull through again or what the deal was, but burgers always kind of giving me that weird, like something. I, I think I've said it before on this podcast. It's just something about his face. I just not, you know, well, like, <laughs> he's not like, he's not, uh, he's not like a sexy pick. You know, he's not a guy that's like all that well known. Right. Um, I'll tell you what though, his swing and you might hate this. It kind of reminds me of you I from the right I've side. Got, I've got that quite a bit. On yeah. Sunday Cause too, he lays, like, he lays it off, you know, like, well, we're like trying you to used fix to. that. Yes. Like yeah. you used to. Oh, yes. I like that. Yeah. Like I used to. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, as you used to, as like last, as of last month. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> no, I I, I, yeah. I don't know what I took. Obviously, <laughs> I mean, eagling four holes is, is pretty good. And that last eagle the last was stupid. Is so dumb. Yeah. I mean, it's just ridiculous. Um, yeah. I mean, listen, he, he, uh, he played better than everybody. And, it was, it was kind of unbelievable, too, because even going into that 18th, you still thought there was a few guys that were like. <laughs> I was, I'm not going to lie to you. I was still pissed when yeah. he made that eagle putt and Jim Nance was like, and the winner of the at yeah. I was like, motherfucker, what if, Jordan, what if Jordan holes out from his second shot? What if he has an albatross? It's a tie ball game, I think. So I thought that was kind of weird, too. I, I yeah. noticed that as well. And then, I, like, I, I was like, questioning myself. Like when he said that, yeah. I was like, I was like "Wait, nah, okay, well maybe he just has no, yeah, like, no, uh, yeah." I mean, I don't think anyone else is going to win, but that's a weird thing to say when there's still guys when there's the still guys on the field. Yeah, yeah. I said the same yeah. thing. I was like, "Damn, whatever." Yeah. But um, so your boy, you man, what's yeah. what's what do you think, man? Because so I, I would say it's another successful weekend. Like I know people are probably giving you a lot of shit, but like, he listen, you called it last week. He finishes T three. Oh, I uh, did have that too. I had uh, yeah. a guaranteed top ten. Yeah, yeah, I, that so was probably he, one of the he, first things I was right about ever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> but hey, we're gonna you're gonna we're gonna get better at that, right? Exactly, yeah. exactly. I don't know, man. He, um, it's it's tough when he plays so well for you know two days, and you know you look at him and you go, "This guy." You say he's back. You say he's back. Everyone's like, "Jordan's back." He looks the part. And then, you know, he has like these, you know, now back-to-back weeks of Sundays that are, that are just like sporadic, you know, he's just like a little bit off and you can right. tell and he's just not there yet. But mm-hmm. listen, he's, I don't care if he's, if he's here, if he's back right now, I think you got to care in a couple months if he's back. Right. So here I have a couple, a couple things, uh, obviously been thinking about it a lot. Um, it's good to see where he is right now. That's, that's my biggest thing. Um, he's had a horrendous three and a half, four years. Um, to see him come, what was it, a T3 and then a, a, or a T4 and then a T3 back to back. Um, very good. Uh, waste management, that was, it was electric to see him doing what he was doing. But again, uh, to your point, he wasn't driving the ball well. But the biggest thing with me is his irons. His irons are on point. He was in that back nine of Sunday, he was in the rough 
errant off the tee for a majority of the tee balls. But he was, you know, you would hear the announcers, they would just be like, you know, if he gets close to the green, that's good. And he yeah. kept putting it on the goddamn yeah. green. It's so, so like true. those difficult shots to make those um, were really, really good to see. He struggled with the wedges. Him and Greller were kind of struggling with yardages. Um, cool to see him. I love how they just go back and forth and you can see all that stuff, but that we can get into that at another time. Yeah, yeah. So those are the positives from Jordan. Um, I think if he, if this was in his heyday and he did a T4, T3, like um, we'd be a little bit more worried of him not closing out because there was a stat that like his past eight times he was, le- he led 36 holes he won like six out of the eight and then he tied for second and both the ones that he didn't. So this is like the third time he didn't close out after a 54 hole lead, whatever the stat was, it was something like that. So that concerns me a little bit. It also concerns me the, the strength of field in this one. There really was nobody like, you know what I'm saying? He should, this was one like, Burger's really good. He's climbing. Cantley, we've talked about, is just a stone face killer. Um, outside of those guys, it should have been Jordan's tournament. So I was disappointed to see him do that. The future is going to be, I mean, he's got things to work on. So if he can keep his iron play as he is and then figures out how to get in a fairway off a tee, he's going to be dangerous because the putter will come around, I believe. And I mean, that's so I'm, I'm, I have mixed emotions to say he's back as a Jordan Spieth fan would be silly. I, you know, I'm not going to be guaranteeing any more top tens, but he loves playing at AT&T Pebble Beach. So that was a, that was a, a good guess, I guess. But yeah, interesting to see where he's going to go from here. Um, I think the next couple of tournaments that he plays are really going to, you know. Yeah. You're I mean, I agree with basically everything you're saying. I think, um, yeah, watching him, you know, with with his irons was um, was encouraging because yeah. you see, you're right. He was in the rough all the time. Like, I feel like he's never. It was ridiculous, man. And, yeah, and um, he, you know, he's. I just think he's fun to watch, man. Because of, you're right. Because of the conversations he has, yeah. his caddy, he's entertaining. And, yeah, and like yeah. he's always like talking to his ball. Like it's just a fun. Right. And you and you feel for him like you you're rooting for him. It's an, he's such an easy. I know we give you shit, but he's such an easy guy to root for. Yeah, uh, for sure. And uh, you just want to see him do well. And and he's he's getting there, man. I think you know there were a few there were a few things that that I did see that I was at, like he took out driver on a few holes or honestly on one hole the, the hole that uh, I don't know if you saw where they set up the um, the tee box in like the location off to the right, which is like right next to the ocean. Um, uh, yeah, it was way up. It's like 130 yards up of where it usually is, and the only mm-hmm. reason they can do that is because there's no fans around them. I think there's a tenth hole. I, I want to say cool. where. So there's usually fans around the ninth green, so mm-hmm. they can't have the tee box where where I guess it used to be, like way back in the day. Right. Um, and it was cool. So they had it there, which is 130 yards forward, which is pretty wild. Changes the entire hole, you know. Hundred percent. So he 130%. took 30 percent. I think. um yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think uh, he, you know, whoever hit before him hit like an iron off tee and played it safe, and he took out the driver and and ripped like one. He, actually, he hit the fairway, which was like again one of the only fairways he hit all day. But like, right, I, stuff like that, you're like, okay, like at least he's hitting the ball confidently because and it's and that, going yeah. over the ocean. He took some lines yesterday that were pretty aggressive when 
some other guys weren't. So listen, there's that's there's the thing a lot of that I was I was going to touch on a little bit of that is just his confidence. Like it's good to see him where he's at. Like even in the interviews, like he just seems more confident, and that's really in golf. We all know that that's what it really takes. Yeah. Um, you're not going to be able to have a 42.86 driving accuracy though and <laughs> and win tournaments. So yeah. he's got some stuff to work on, but it's good to see that he can he's competing with a subpar game. That's what I think of it as. Yeah, you know? no, that's a good point. That's a really yeah. good I yeah, it's a good perspective on it. I would say right. the, the flip side of that is um, a subpar game can can uh, take you out of tournaments really quickly, especially 100%. at really hard really hard places so yeah yeah and not so to say I, pebbles not tough but no no it is just just your competitors too yeah yeah, yeah. it'll uh, be fun to see him at the masters he's obviously going to be playing in a couple more before then uh we have like the players and you know good tournaments coming up so it'll be interesting to see um where he goes out i mean i'd love to see him go out and win a a real strong tournament um right before the masters would be pretty sweet so We'll see though, but Hey, let's, uh, do you have anything else you want to touch on before we get into this interview? The only thing uh, I wanted to mention is, uh, uh, Akshay on, uh, Thursday, she's a six oh, four. Yeah. Boy, Jesus, lefty. yeah. Uh, Forgot about that. He kind of disappeared obviously throughout the weekend, but, uh, and he finished T 30, which, uh, you know, listen, he's <laughs> isn't he like, how old is he? Isn't he's he 19 like years old, 19. Yeah. So. 19. And he hit, he was like the, one of the first guys to hit all 18 greens or fair. That's or right. Yeah. Something. Yeah. All on, 18 uh, greens. Yeah. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. That's an so incredible 64, stat. I mean, yeah. <laughs> he's also, I think the youngest player to shoot a 64 in an opening round yeah. or something like that. Like there was a lot of, he's uh and he's a, he's lefty man. His the only thing I don't so like pretty, about him. Man. Yeah, well, it's so pretty, but it'd be even better if you didn't wear those joggers. So moving <laughs> on. <laughs> no, shout out to Akshay. We're going to get him on the podcast. That's one of our goals this year. Um, and yeah, I don't know. Let's get into this interview. It's uh, it. It's an awesome one. So enjoy. What's up, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Lefties Lounge podcast. We have a special guest today, Ryan Hoffman. He's a director of operations for the CSGA, the Connecticut State Golf Association. Welcome to the lounge, Ryan. Thanks for having me on, guys. Appreciate it. Yeah, and uh, today we also have Frankie joining us. Uh, he's been doing a lot of research for this interview, and and we're gonna we're gonna have some good questions for you. So, what's going on, Frank? What's up? Excited. Uh... Excited for this interview and excited to be here. Thanks, Ronnie. Yeah. So uh, basically, we've we've interviewed a bunch of people that play in your events, and uh, why don't you just give us a basic breakdown of what the CSGA does and what their purpose is, and kind of just general information about the CSGA. Yeah. So uh, we're at CSGA is Connecticut State Golf Association. For anybody that's out there that doesn't know that, um, we were founded in 1899, so a pretty old organization. We're actually the oldest state golf association in the country. There's a handful of other golf associations that are regional based that are older than us, but we are the oldest state golf association in the country. Wow. And basically our mission is to, you know, 
what we do helps better the game for our member clubs and for their golfing members. So anything that we can do to assist in that fashion is what we do. Obviously, back in 1899, we were founded mostly to conduct statewide championships. So you had, you know, U.S. Amateur and U.S. Open at the time, and then they wanted statewide competitions as well. So, you know, several clubs got together and said, let's put on a competition. And that's kind of how we were founded. And we still obviously put on all those championships now. But since then, you know, we've been more of a grow the game, you know, keep all those initiatives alive, you know, invest in the future, and make sure that all the products that we put out, including the handicap services, the course ratings, and all the functions that we do for the member clubs are up to par. Yeah, very cool. We, um, you actually, I mean, I looked into it and, uh, our, the club that we play at Candlewood, um, you actually keep track of all our handicaps too. And, and we never, I didn't even know that. So, yeah. So we have a, at just about every club in the state. Um, we, every uh-huh. club in the state is a member of the CSGA. There's a handful of clubs down in Fairfield County. That's a metropolitan golf association issues, the handicaps for, but we have about 175 handicap clubs in the state and a, approximately 50,000 total members. Wow. wow, that is that's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> so, Ryan, in, in in your position, I guess what what's your background? Um, obviously, you know, again, looking you up and, and doing some research on you, it seems like you've been with with the association for a long time. Um, so, I guess uh, what what made you get into this, and, and what's your background? Yeah. So, I, this is going on my seventeenth season, believe it or not, at the CSGA. So, I started when I was a senior in college. Um, I got my, I didn't play golf growing up. I played sports, all kinds of sports. And I went to Springfield college up in Western mass, played baseball. And then, uh, my, (laughs) my junior year, they actually, the USGA was conducting the U S women's open at the orchards up in South Hadley. Mm -hmm. And so I interned with the USGA and was, uh, in the media department and some of the operations department there. So, that was my first real taste of golf administration. And the person that I had worked for at the time did an internship with the CSGA and that's also funded through the USGA. And so I did an internship my senior year and at the end of the internship, they offered me a position. And ever since then I've been at the CSGA. So you have some, you have some, uh, you have some baseball boys in here as well. Ronnie and I both, uh, both were base uh, baseball players before golfers. That's for sure. So love it. Yeah, I'm still, and, I'm still fighting that slice swing. Oh, I, oh <laughs> I can't get rid yeah. of it. Yeah, I know that feeling. <laughs> Took me a while to not step. Yeah, uh, exactly. <laughs> it's probably a good drill if you want to get through it. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> well, that's a that's that's a that's a cool way to get into stuff. So, I mean, you obviously play a lot of golf now. I would assume. Well, I, I see a lot of golf. I don't exactly play a lot of golf. You guys definitely play. I mean, I see a lot more golf than you guys do, even if you're watching it all weekend long on TV. But you guys definitely play more than me. I'm only out maybe maybe three or four times a year if I'm lucky, actually oh, wow. playing like a full round. But I do chip and putt a ton, you know, setting up all the golf courses for all the tournaments. You got to make sure you actually putt at a hole that you're willing to hit it into versus – you know, telling somebody else, well, you got to put it in the clown's mouth. So I always make sure that they're right. So wow, you know, so you're actually, you're actually going out there and you're picking holes and stuff like that. Yep. Yes. Yeah, so wow. We set all the, all the T marker positions and all wow. the hole locations and, you know, boundary markers, all the rule stuff. So everything's all buttoned up just like you see on tour. 
put together the rule, you know, rule sheet, whole location sheet, all that stuff. That's pretty cool. The next question was kind of like, what goes into hosting an event like that? Um, that's some of it. What else, what else do you have to do to host an event with hundreds of players involved? And you, it, you have so many events. So like, how hard is it for you to keep track of everything? And, and, and what are, what do you mainly do? Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it, becomes a little bit difficult in the summer to manage a lot of that stuff. I mean, it's, uh, it's more of the time stuff. We end up seeing, uh, you know, we'll be at a tournament conducting say the Connecticut amateur and you got the round of 32 going out and you got to turn over matches, but at the same time we have five qualifiers going on for the Connecticut open and all the pairings and the rule sheets and, you know, all that stuff has to get coordinated through for the other host clubs. So a lot of times it's a juggling act. So we're at, we're actually, hosting an event, conducting event, but at the same time, you know, we're putting all the plans into place for the other events down the road. So it's a lot of, you know, it's a lot of patience. It's a lot of juggling stuff around, Um, but there's, you know, the players see, you know, they see just us conducting the tournament. They don't necessarily see, you know, the background and they shouldn't have to see that. I mean, that's part of our function is to make sure that, you know, they show up, they have a good time, they compete at a high level and they don't have to worry about what's going on in the background. So, you know, we make sure that all that stuff's buttoned up, you know, ahead of time. So with all that going on, how big is your team? Like, so we have, there's eight of us that are full-time. And then we have a controller as well, who's, you know, full-time kind of part-time depending on the season. Um, And then we flex out in the summer. We have a three to four interns at times and that help us out primarily in the summer months. So, you know, doing a lot of, you know, getting their feet wet, similar to what I did 15, 16 years ago, you know, making sure that, you know, the tents are in the right place and the water coolers are filled up, stuff like that, that Mm -hmm. it doesn't seem all that great, but you got to get your start somewhere. So, you know, it's right. really small yeah. as far as a full-time professional staff, but we do have a core group of volunteers, about a hundred mostly retired men and women that come out and they, you know, ball spotters, rules, officials, marshals, things like that. Right. Yeah. That was my next question. Cause that doesn't seem like enough people to, to conduct all the stuff that you're doing. Yeah. Um, you probably don't get a lot of days off, but uh, the volunteers obviously play a pretty big role. Yeah, the volunteers are huge. I mean, we are we are a volunteer-based organization. We have a board of directors. We have an executive committee, all of whom are volunteers. And then on top of that, we have a bunch of guys that, you know, and, you know, guys and gals that, you know, mostly retired, but, you know, just love golf or mm-hmm. love the rules of golf. Um, you know, and they just want to give back to a game that they feel has given them so much over their lifetime. So, you know, they really love coming out, whether it's, like I said, ball spotting, hole marshalling, mm-hmm. you know, any sort of job. And, you know, by and large, anything I ask these folks to do, they do. So, you know, we really couldn't do it without the volunteer base that we have. And we're fortunate to have them. A lot of other golf associations don't have as many. And yep. We're fortunate in Connecticut that geographically kind of a small state. So, you know, if you guys are in New Milford and you want to get over to Madison, you know, you might say, well, I don't really want to do that, but it's only about an hour. You right. know? <laughs> so a lot of guys, and then especially when you show up and, you know, it's some of the most beautiful places on the planet that you're showing up to and right. you get to be out at Shorehaven or country club of Fairfield and sit out there all day. I mean, it's not yeah. a bad setting to go volunteer your time. Exactly. You might yes. have to get the lefties lounge in there. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, you mentioned, you mentioned the courses, Ryan. Um, and I saw that the 2021, uh, I guess 
course championship schedule has been released in terms of what courses will be played. What, how are those chosen? What's, what goes into that process? And, are, you know, are you part of that process in choosing it? Uh, I guess take us through, you know, which courses are selected and, and why? Yeah, so it's a, the scheduling process can be one of the more uh, challenging um, you know, we'll call it an opportunity to succeed, not necessarily a challenge. Um, but a lot of the scheduling is an ongoing process. And we have, you know, between all those tournaments that we have, we have a lot of ones that are just one day qualifiers or one day tournaments, parent, childs, father, sons, things like that, that are just one day tournaments. And then we obviously have the big major tournaments, the Palmer Cup, the Amateur, the Open. Um, a lot of those things over the years, what we do is try to identify you know, one, the clubs that are receptive to hosting, and then two, you know, the clubs that the players want to be at. And what we try to do is balance that between, you know, the the club that might not necessarily have the championship style golf course that the players really want um, and balance that out with not every place you go to is going to be wingfoot. So, you know, sometimes you have to be able to go and find the diamond in the rough. And we have, we've done that from time to time has found clubs that people haven't really heard much about. And, you know, we haven't really played there. I mean, uh, you guys are up that way, but Bulls Bridge for one, I mean, it was, you know, it started out in small little club, not, you know, a ton of people knew about it. And then, you know, we started hosting our tournament of champions there. We've had us amateur qualifying bunch of stuff up there and guys rave about the place. I mean, it's spectacular. It's beautiful. Um, so, you know, we're heavily involved in that all year long. We have multiple, you know, six, eight, 10 year plans with certain clubs that we try to identify which ones we want to be on. Like the, the Connecticut amateur is booked out through 2027. The Connecticut opens booked out through 2030. Um, The Connecticut mid amateur for a couple of years, the senior for a couple of years. So a lot of time, you know, sometimes clubs reach out to us directly and other times we go out to them and we try to, you know, get in the fold with what they want to do. Like this year, the 2021 Connecticut amateurs are going to be at Hartford golf club. Okay. And Hartford Golf Club celebrating their 125th anniversary. So it's a big deal for that club. Right. I mean, not many businesses around that have been open for 125 years. So for that club to have thrived for that long, you know, they're really proud of it. So mm-hmm. you know, we put a plan into place a number of years ago, maybe six or seven years ago, and targeted them and talked to them and you know, really got them to buy in. You know, I'm happy to say that they're thrilled. They couldn't be any more thrilled, you know, to, to get rolling on that. Well, that was one of my, I was, I was, uh, I was going to ask that, you know, obviously with the U S open and those things are planned out for years and years. uh, I was, I was interested to see if that was the case. And it sounds like it is speaking of clubs that I was surprised Ronnie. And I don't know if you were, um, I think it was, I think it was Evan who mentioned to us that Fairview farms, which is up in uh, Harlington, Connecticut. Mm -hmm. I was surprised to hear that uh, uh, speaking of clubs, kind of a diamond in the rough, we play that club, you know, all the time and and every year. Um, So that that was interesting just to hear that. (laughs) Yeah. And especially a place like Fairview farm. I mean, it's, it's a great setting. You drive up the hill, the clubhouse is beautiful, nice little practice range, you know, so it's, but you get a greater appreciation for, you know, the nuances of a golf course and even a place like Fairview farm, not terribly long, not overly difficult, but I think every level of golfer loves that club. And that's the way that yeah. the owner designed that. He designed it to be not necessarily a championship golf course, but one that a championship could be played on, yeah. but also one that guys that are going to shoot a hundred are going to go out and say, well, oh, that was fun. 
Right. You know, yeah. it is you go out and you play an eight thousand yard golf course. It's not fun for anybody. <laughs> That's exactly. You know, That's or true. you you know you got the you know, the elephant buried in the green. Sometimes it's not fun. I mean, it's fun every once in a while, but it's not fun when the greens are rolling at 13 or 14. Yeah. So, you know, Fairview farm is a great little spot where guys love to go up to, they play well there. You know, that always helps when guys are playing well. So, yeah. you know, and I feel like they, with that course, they can ramp up the greens to make them pretty difficult too, because I always have a pretty hard time there. <laughs> um, it's way different than Candlewood. Uh, just, they always seem lightning fast. It always seems like the, that course drains so well, it's up on a hill. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I can, I can see how, how that can be, you know, a, a course that that's in the mix for sure. sure. Um, kind of a kind of a weird question or not weird but um with with such a set schedule how does how does weather affect do you do you cancel a lot of tournaments because of weather or do you post do you have to postpone them or do you have like rain dates how does how does that work yeah so what we try to do is have a, a tentative rain date with a club um or at least there's only a handful of days a year where i really get worried about if it rains you know and by and large that, you know, the difference between maybe us three going out when it's going to get, you know, an inch and a half of rain today, but it's going to be steady all day. We might just bag it, but they play. If the greens aren't puddling up, you know, guys are out there as long as we can walk and, you know, guys just throw it over their shoulder and off you go and you got to play. So, you know, it's, there are days where it's, you know, like British Open wind style early in the spring, late in the fall. And, you know, there's days where it feels like it's Scotland is just wind whipping and, you know, rain coming down. But, you know, we we try not to cancel anything. Obviously, you know, COVID hit last year. We had a few cancellations on that front. And, you know, you start running out of days at a certain point. So, um, you know, there have been times where we've canceled certain things, but certainly majors. We don't. We try to do everything we can to accommodate you know, the entire champ, the championship in its entirety. Right. Um, you touched on, on COVID a little bit. We we're going to ask um, with the pandemic last year, how, how difficult was that? How many tournaments did you have to cancel? And it, it seemed like you got a bunch of tournaments in though, which is good. Yeah. I mean, we were, we were really fortunate and, you know, in all honesty, you know, there's, you know, a lot of the credit, for even any golf being played in Connecticut has to go out to our executive director, Mike Morgan. I mean, he was all over it from day one when they're shutting down the economy and things you can and can't do and what's safe, what's not safe. You know, he jumped on it right away with our lobbyist and, you know, got into the folks at the, you know, the DECD that were making all the decisions and told them, listen, we're the experts in golf. We know what's safe. We know it can be played safe. And I think Connecticut golf was shut down for, 12 hours, 10 hours, something like that till they came back and said, you know, you're good to go. So places like Massachusetts, New York shut down, you know, Connecticut stayed open. I think one of only two or three total states in the country that stayed open basically the whole time. So, you know, that was, it was a tough thing in the beginning of it to know what we can do, what we can't do, how are we going to change things? But, you know, we had a lot of supportive member clubs that still wanted to host the championships um, we ran into a little bit of an issue with our women's open only because the state has the travel advice, had the travel advisor, I think still does to this day. Um, so we have a lot of women professionals that come from out of state that, you know, just getting the testing in place and all that stuff is something that we're not equipped for. So, right. you know, we had to cancel that one and a handful of other kind of one day tournaments, you know, one off things here and there that we had to cancel. But, you know, by and large, did a full competitive schedule last year and, 
you know, happy to say we didn't have one case of COVID linked to any of our tournaments, not from, you know, and that's, it's probably, you know, a hundred days of competition, a hundred players at each one. So you're talking about, you know, thousands and thousands of rounds of golf and interactions. We didn't have one case of COVID. So, that's you know, it's a, a test, testament to the team and the efforts and the volunteers and even the players. Cause Absolutely. You know, they, we put a lot on the players last year, told them, you know, I know you're used to just showing it up and putting a peg in the ground and going, but here's what we need you to do. Mm-hmm. And right. they all bought in. I mean, not, never got one complaint about somebody getting an emailed whole location sheet or, yeah. you know, getting their starting time at a later time because we had to jockey things around. So the players bought in and, you know, it's, it was, it was as difficult as it was, you know, there are parts of the year that were just about as satisfying as anything that I've done in 15, 16 years, knowing that, you know, we were able to pull it off as a team and that all the players and everybody came together just to get this done. Yeah. That, I mean, that says a lot about your team and, and you guys in general. Um, what did you have to like in the beginning, did you have to like all these people are coming in with caddies and all that stuff Were there testing? Like, did you have to get people tested or was it like just monitoring, wearing masks, staying six feet apart? What was the main thing to keep everybody safe? I mean, obviously you did a pretty good job. So, yeah, I mean, you know, obviously the, the biggest thing, you know, certainly we don't have the budget like the, you know, NFL or NBA or anybody like that to go out there, even the USGA. I mean, it, I can't imagine what it costs them. My, my guess is millions and millions of dollars to yeah. send out all that stuff and get all those people tested just to put 150 people through Wingfoot, just you know, in the 150 players and then their caddies and then whoever else they're bringing. So, um, and obviously early on, you know, we're still talking about April, May, June, there's not a lot of testing in place, certainly compared to where we are now, where you can, you know, basically get a test at 20 different places today. Um, so it wasn't really like that. So we just, you know, made sure that we stressed and stressed and stressed the importance of wearing the mask and social distancing. Um, you know, we have certain caddy protocols that, you know, you know, got to grab the can't both grab the, the grip end. So the caddy has to grab the actual club and then hand the shaft to the player. Um, so things like that um, obviously didn't make the players wear a mask while they're actively playing because, mm-hmm. you know, different from basketball or even football, you know, I mean, golf has played on, you know, hundreds of acres. Right. And so you can get three or 400 people out there and you almost have like a half an acre to yourself. So there's almost no safer place on the planet than a half an acre of land to yourself. Exactly. So, you know, and then we, you know, like I said before, we put it on the players and told them, you know, you have to do this. And there were several times throughout the year where somebody would call up and say, you know, I, I tested positive or my wife did, or I know somebody that did, I came in contact with them. What do I have to do? And, mm-hmm. and we just gave them the CDC guidelines, the state guidelines at the time and said, you know, you really need to do one, what's best for you and your family. And then two, you need to think about all the other people you're going to interact with. And like I said, everybody bought in, not one of those people showed up with COVID or that traveled somewhere that we know of, at least that traveled somewhere and violated the travel advisory. So, you know, the players did, they, the players just deserve a lot of credit for it. Certainly. Yeah. No, I mean, that's, that, that's really amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead, Frank. No, I, yeah. I, speaking of, of players and, and, uh, you know, moving on from all the COVID stuff, obviously that was a big part of this year, but um, obviously Cody Palladino uh, was a C team amateur of the year this year. And we, we had, we had a great conversation with him um, a few weeks, a few weeks back. Talk us through, cause I think Ronnie and I are both very interested in how, how one becomes the amateur of the year. Like, is there a point system? How, how does that all 
um, happen? And I guess, is there specific tournaments throughout the year that, that these um, amateurs play in to make sure that they are accumulating points over the year to, to kind of be in, be in shape to win at the end of the sure. year? Sure. Yeah. I mean, uh, you basically kind of hit the nail on the head. I mean, we, the, the Connecticut, you know, CSGA player of the year is based on a point system that's allocated based on, you know, what our competition committee and our players council feels is like the, you know, weighted quality or the weighted difficulty of a field. So, you know, something like the Connecticut amateur is much more difficult to win than just a one day stroke play tournament. So, you know, the amateur, you got to play eight rounds of golf and beat the best players in the state. So if you win that tournament, you obviously get significantly more points than something else. So, you know, all of those tournaments, there's several other USGA, you know, if you qualify for a USGA championship, um, whether it's, you know, amateur, junior amateur, mid amateur, senior amateur, you get points in that system. Uh, New England amateur is in there as well. Um, Connecticut senior open, Connecticut open. So, you know, every single tournament has a weighted value based on, you know, your finishing position. And, you know, what we've done is we've basically taken, you know, instead of saying, if you finish first, here's your points, second, here's your points, and then fifth through eighth, get the same points. It's kind of like the PGA tour, like every position is has a different point value. So what ends up happening at the end of the year, you know, if you figure, well, I'm not going to win this tournament. I got three holes left. I, you know, I don't really care about this four footer if I make it or miss it, you know, that could be the difference of getting, you know, what seems really small, like three or four points. But if you look at the end of the year, a lot of our exemptions. So the guys that don't have to qualify for the Amber, they just go right to the championship or for the open or to make any of the team events, the challenge cup, which is played just pros versus amateurs in the state or get to travel on the tri-state team and play against teams from Massachusetts and Rhode Island. Um, you know, a lot of times that's separated by like five, 10 total points. So, you know, we make sure that every stroke counts, you know, no matter if it's the first round or the last round, just like, you know, if you're an amateur golfer and you really want to aspire to, you know, win player of the year, you almost have to treat it like, you know, every putt is worth a dollar figure on the PGA tour, because if you don't make that 125, off you go to corn fairy finals. And if you don't yeah. play well for four weeks, you know, tough, yeah. you know, you're, you're back grinding away. So, you, you know, that's what these guys are, are doing. You mentioned something interesting that I, that I, that caught my attention there. You, you said um, playing team matches versus Massachusetts or, or other mm-hmm. States. Can you, can you just expand on that a little bit? Because honestly, I, you said that and I was like, what is, what does that mean? Cause that sounds uh, pretty awesome. <laughs> Yeah, so the the tri-state matches is a, uh, you know, the CSGA has a team captain. Our team captain is Roger Ever, and he won the Connecticut Amateur, I'm going to say, in the the late 70s. He's, you know, great player, um, and a, you know, great guy. Um, he picks a team, but by pick, I mean, you know, 95% of that team is based off the point system. Yeah. And so we have the – that is filled up with, I'm going to say – you know, all the players that watch this will tell me, I, I don't know what I'm talking about, but I want to say it's, <laughs> it's either 10 or 12, uh, like what we call mid amateurs. So guys that are not over 55 and then six seniors that are over 55. And so the, that's a team of players that, you know, will travel and will go to Massachusetts and play against a team of Massachusetts from Massachusetts and from Rhode Island. And it's two days, three rounds, they play, you know, 
they play foursome matches, four ball matches, and then they play singles matches. So it's kind of like the Ryder Cup, except it's a it's a three way Ryder Cup, really. Um, You know, and so you accumulate points. So you're playing, you know, if it's the three of us, I'm playing against both of you on the same hole and you two are playing against each other as well. So, you know, my gimme to you might not be your gimme to him. So a lot of that stuff, you know, and it's points tallies and, you know, Massachusetts, obviously the biggest of those three states, you know, they kind of dominate that. But, you know, a couple of years ago, CSGA, you know, went up to Massachusetts and beat him up on the Cape. So everybody was thrilled. So, so (laughs) yeah, that was kind of, unfortunately we last year, we did have to cancel that a lot of COVID stuff and a lot of rain surrounding it. We were supposed to have it, you know, last year in Connecticut, but, uh, We'll be back up to Mass next year and we'll take a solid team there. So. Nice. Do you do it every year? Or is it every two years like the rider? No, it's every year. And so nice. we rotate, cool. you know, every third year I'll be back in Connecticut. So we'll go to Massachusetts next year and then Rhode Island. So it's a great opportunity. A lot of these guys, you know, they know each other from playing, you know, junior golf all the way up through USGA stuff, New England Am stuff. And there's a lot of camaraderie in that room, you know, when, in a non-COVID environment when everybody can be belly up to the bar. And yeah. you know, after the first, you know, day of matches, you know, it's really fun to watch these guys interact with one another. And you really you probably got the 40 best players in New England that are all in the same room. So, you know, it's, it's really fun to, to watch those guys and watch them compete. That's really awesome. I'd love to be a part of that somehow, but (laughs) we'll talk about that later. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So just to touch on a little bit, how, how does, how do playing in all these events uh, benefit an amateur? Like what are there like a lot of college scouts? Are there like, how, how, how does it benefit an amateur? Yeah. So, I mean, and, you know, obviously in multiple ways, if you're a young, you know, say high school golfer and you aspire to play in college, there's so many opportunities now to play between, you know, Hurricane Junior Tour, AJGA, you can play in, uh, you know, Cody and Brent's tournament, you know, the Northern Junior, if you're good enough to get, you know, to that high of a level (laughs) of the junior level to play in one of those tournaments, you know, obviously there's a lot of, you know, avenues for those kids to play. Um, And, but a lot of them do end up coming you know, back and playing in the CSGA, mostly because the competition, you know, you're playing against men, you know, you're Mm -hmm. playing against, you know, collegiate, you know, collegiate players that are older than you. You're playing against men that know how to manage their emotions. They know how to manage their game. And, you know, some of these swings that you see out there are not pretty at all, but they end up 275 or 280 down the middle of the fairway every time. So if you're a 15 or 16 year old kid, you can learn a lot from that and learn a lot from, you know, going to different uh different golf courses that you're unfamiliar with and different conditions and varying types of grass and putting speeds all those things are beneficial for a you know a college player or a aspiring collegiate player mm-hmm. and the college coaches they look at everything you know for mm-hmm. a high school kid that says oh, I'm only going to go play in AJGA you know does the high school coach look at every one of your nine hole matches in high school Maybe not, but if you have a 32 stroke average, he's going to notice. And if you go out and you qualify for the Connecticut amateur, you know, when you're 13 or 14 years old, I mean, I don't know if you guys are familiar with, uh, you know, Ben James is one of the top players in the state. I think he's 16 or 17 years old. He's going to university of Virginia. I think next year, the year after he qualified for the Connecticut open, I think when he was 12 years old. Wow. And I'm pretty certain somewhere right around that time frame, UConn offered him a scholarship. Wow. So, I mean, I can't 
you know, you might have to fact check me on that, but you know, I'm pretty <laughs> certain like you start making noise when, you know, you qualify for a men's championship at, you know, at that level. And then, you know, once you're in college, you need to keep your game at, in shape all summer. So, you know, plotting out your schedule, what events you want to target and those guys that, you know, not just are in college, but want to aspire to being a professional, you need to start planning ahead to do that. I mean, no different than, you know, if you're, want to get an internship because you want to be an XYZ career. You want to be a professional golfer. You got to start training yourself early on. So certainly you come back from college, you want to set your schedule. You want to target events. You know, you're going to play well at, you want your game to peak at the right time. So a lot of those things, you know, and you know, those are, those are things that have helped a lot of these guys over the years come back. And even, you know, somebody like Cody Palladino, who, you know, probably admittedly, didn't have the greatest senior year that he wanted to have, you know, down at Baylor, he'll probably tell you that, Um, you know, but he came back and I can remember him having to qualify for, I think the Palmer cup or the Connecticut amateur. He had to go down, you know, I think he went to great neck maybe, and he had to qualify just to play in the tournament. And then (laughs) two weeks later, he wins the Palmer cup. He won the amateur. He flew (laughs) out to California and won something. He won the four ball. He won the tournament (laughs) champion. So it was just somebody that needed to find a little bit more confidence in his game. And he always had it. He always probably will have it. You know, he just needed to find it. So you can use, you know, the, the amateur events for any sort of thing that you want. And, you know, in all honesty, I would say 95% of the players that play in our tournament, what they aspire to is to play in our tournaments. Okay. You know, I think a lot of guys realize that, you know, if you're, you know, 37 and, you know, you haven't made it to the PGA tour, (laughs) you're probably probably not not making it (laughs) to the PGA tour. (laughs) You know, if you're, if you're a legit, like four or five handicap, you're really competitive at your club, you play in statewide events, but you haven't won anything. You're pretty certain you're not making to the PGA tour, but you can compete at a really high level. still. you can go to, you know, you can go to the country club of Darien for the Connecticut open and you can go to Hartford golf club and you can be, you know, playing all these member guests and you can play in things that and be with people and to places that you could have never dreamed of just because you're a competitive golfer. And so, you know, all these tournaments, you know, they can do that for these, you know, for these players. That's pretty, that's pretty cool. So how, how would I get into an event? Like how, <laughs> how would you, how would what's, I, your, so, what's your handicap? Well, we don't have to talk about that All right. right now. Right. I'm a, I'm a 12.7, but right. we're working on that's getting good. better. Um, that's good. I was going to say, Ryan, it's, it's too bad. You just uh, shut down Ronnie's dreams. Of that he's not going to make the PGA. <laughs> yeah. So you never that, know. Now Never that I know I'm not, you know, I'm not 37 yet, but I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure I'm not. You got plenty, you got plenty of time. Now. <laughs> but say, say I do get down some, God willing, get down to like a, a single digit, five, six, whatever. How do you get into these tournaments? You basically just, if you are a member of the CSGA and by a member of the CSGA, I mean, you hold a handicap from one of our member clubs. So if you have a handicap from Candlewood Valley, you're a member of the CSGA. (laughs) So if you, you get the, you get the emails from us on the first and the 15th with here's what your handicap is. I do. You're you're (laughs) a member and you're eligible to play. And, you know, our tournaments aren't just limited to those championship players. They're the ones that, you know, probably get the most the most press and, you know, people talk about it. It's interesting to hear all the, you know, the stories, but um, we do have a one day series. There's 13 or 14 events a year that's open to, you know, anybody, you know, man, woman, or child of any ability range, 
we play in gross and net. So there's okay. an opportunity to okay. play in net as well. So, you know, if it's something that you're really thinking about, you certainly should, you know, you can sign up for a one day, one day tournament. We have them all over the, all over the place this year. You know, there's a whole bunch of them that you know, are private clubs that places you might not be able to play. I mean, you, I think it's 75 bucks. You play country club of Waterbury. Yeah. It's no, really, that's really not a bad deal at all. So, that's you know, awesome. they're, they're tough to get into, but you know, a lot of guys use that as a stepping stone because it's one thing if you're going to knock it around with your buddies. It's another thing, you know, when you really got to put the ball in the <laughs> hole because it makes a difference. Yeah, for you know, sure. I'm sure if you've ever even played something like, all right, everybody, we're playing by the rules and we're putting it in the hole. Oh, that yeah. two-footer looks a lot <laughs> longer than when you just, you know, backhanded away and said, that was good, right? Yeah. Well, Ronnie Ronnie has had a tournament going on with, with his buddies, which I was <laughs> fortunate enough to be invited to this year. And it is, I mean, it is put the ball in the hole. There is yeah. no gimmies. And there was multiple times where, I went to swipe that ball away and, and <laughs> caught myself before doing it because it would have been, it would have been sure. a penalty. I love it. I played, oh, hold on, Frank. I just want to say yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the reason I asked that is just because we all are competitive on this, uh, on the podcast. And we, me and me and John, uh, the other host, we won the member guest for, of Candlewood this year. And nice. we had maybe, I don't know, 30 or 40 guys following us around for four holes. I've never been that nervous, but I also played really well. And I was, I, I want to see, it'd be cool to, to get into one of these tournaments and just see what that competitive juice gets out of me. So this, this might be a, a, a cool thing that we do. Yeah. Yeah. You <laughs> should definitely podcast. do it. And that's, you know, one thing we talk about all the time at the office is, you know, every, there's always an opportunity where it's somebody's first tournament. It's their first experience playing outside their club. And, you know, what, what we really aspire to do is, you know, I always say like, I want you shaken when you put that first peg in the ground. Yeah. I want you so nervous because like you show up and you're greeted and it's a beautiful place and there's <laughs> right. balls on the range in pyramids and you've never <laughs> yeah. seen that before. Yeah. And guys, you know, somebody announces your name on the tee and hands you a scorecard and a pencil and you've <laughs> yeah. never used a marker strip before. So you don't know what's going on. Yeah, no, <laughs> so you're, so speaking, like, you're speaking you want, my language right I now. Mean, this that's is... <laughs> a, so like, I, you know, we want to give people the experience, like such a great experience that they're sh literally shaking when they put the peg in the ground, Yeah, but... you know, and then we want them to just go out and have fun. I mean, cause that's at the end of the day, that's what, what it's all about right. you know but just providing that atmosphere is you know is what we're really hoping for so hopefully, i hope you guys get out come out and play i think i think fun. that's yeah. going to be on the that's going to be on the calendar for this year is to get out to one of those and and uh get scared <laughs> <laughs> working off the players stuff that we we're talking about i was i'm interested in in the the woman's um i guess the, the woman's scene as well like what how is that how has that grown uh since you've been since you've been there, I feel like obviously the you mentioned the open got canceled this year. Is there like are you rescheduling or is it just it's now in 2021 and it is what it is? Yeah, I mean, we are just, you know, for 2020, just with all the COVID stuff. I mean, we had a, a great site lined up, Rock Rim and Country Club, you know, down in uh, I think Greenwich area. Um, you know, and they were really supportive of the tournament, wanted to have it, and it just too many logistical things with COVID that pops up. So, you know, we're just going to pass. We already had a site scheduled for the women's open for 2021. So we're going to black hall club in old Lyme, um, one of my favorite venues. Um, so it'd be interesting is I've never done a women's championship there before. So, you know, I'll get to find out where different sets of team markers are. Um, right. so that'll, be, that'll be fun. 
Um, but you know, we do have a director of women's golf. She does a terrific job, you know, incorporating, there's a couple other women's groups in the state, um, you know, Connecticut women's golf association and Southern new England women's golf association. And then there's the, um, the LPGA women's group. Um, they have a couple different groups in, in Connecticut. So, you know, the women's game is, is certainly one of those ones that we always want to jump into and, you know, get more women to play. Uh, on the competitive side, it's always a little bit more difficult. Um, I yeah. think women are maybe just a little bit more hesitant to play um, at a competitive level for an amateur. I think mm -hmm. if, uh, you know, you're a young, you know, high school player and you're really good, you're going to have no problem. You're going to be just like, you know, anybody else, you know, any one of the, the guys hopping in there and playing in a tournament, you'd be happy to do it. Um, but you know, it's becomes a little bit more difficult, you know, a lot of the, you know, between, you know, work and family obligations and stuff. I mean, it's something that all of our players being amateurs have to balance. And so, you know, it's tough, but as far as, you know, the, the women's game, you know, trying to, you know, grow that we have, uh, we used to never run the, the women's amateur was run by those two groups, the CWGA and Snuga. We took that on maybe six or seven years ago. And so we conduct that championship, the women's open, um, you know, so a lot of that, a lot of that stuff that we're really hoping to do. And, you know, our director of women's golf partners with a lot of stuff, a lot of leagues, a lot of clinics. Um, so, you know, trying to get all, you know, as many women involved in the game as possible. Yeah. You've been there a long time. How, how has it grown? How's the women's game grown since you, when you started, is it, have you seen a significant increase? Yeah. I mean, I would say our, our, as far as our membership goes, it certainly has. I think when I started the percentage of women, you know, percentage of our membership that were women was, I want to say seven or 8%. And we're at like 13 or 14% now. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, it's in a lot of, and it seems like that number for women has, has grown and the men's side has dipped a little bit. So some of that could be a little bit of demographics and you, know, you lose some more of the men, then obviously the percentage increases, but it's always good to see that overall number increase as well. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, obviously we, you know, we partnered a few years ago with CIAC, and we conduct all the high school championships now in the state that includes oh, nice. now two divisions for women, which is great because it was always, you know, the boys have four and the girls only had one. And so now they're breaking it apart. And so you're getting, you know, big conferences, small conferences. So there's not as many schools that do women's golf as do as girls golf as boys, but, mm -hmm. you know, so giving them the opportunity to do that. So we get to interact with them at that level. Um, and so, you know, it's just something that, you know, it's obviously it's a, uh, portion of our business that we've wanted to get more into over the years. And that's why, you know, I'm going to say four or five years ago now, you know, we actually invested staff wise in hiring a director of women's golf. And yeah. so identifying all those opportunities and conducting those championships and interacting with those players, because, you know, it's, it's, she's, you know, she's a former, you know, highly competitive amateur player. She's still, she beat all three of us guaranteed. Um, so, you know, it's really good to have somebody that, you know, talks the talk, you know, and has been there and done that and played at a high level so she can interact with all them. So you're really fortunate to have her and, you know, what she's doing. That's cool. really cool. Any chance of, uh, I know the seniors, you have the seniors and then the mid-ams and the Palmer cup. What are the chances you can get a couple a ladies division in there? <laughs> we probably could. I mean, we're, we're all for, I mean, we're, we're about as close to maxed out as possible on the tournament calendar, but you yeah. know, I, I said that like 10 or 12 tournaments ago and I keep saying yes to all of them. So, yeah. you know, it's, so I keep saying yes. So you never know. 
could I'm be an all, opportunity I'm, for it. I'm still waiting on the PGA and the LPGA to do a, do an event uh, like that. I don't know if there's really anything that they do. Um, it'd be really cool. I think cool they to used to that. do, didn't they used to do more of that? They had one, like a mixed, I feel like it was tournament. Yeah, it was, but nobody really knew about it. I feel like if we could like amp it up and have, you know, have like a Ryder cup feel, you know, USA mm-hmm. against Europeans and, and have the girls against the guy. I think it'd be really cool, but yeah, well next year, Connecticut is, uh, you guys know about Brooklawn country clubs hosting the U S senior women's open. I didn't know, so that. know that. Yeah. So it, they were supposed to host it in 2020 and obviously they USGA canceled everything except the men's and women's amateurs and opens, but they have a senior women's open. Um, and so that's going to be at Brooklawn country club in Fairfield. Um, I'm going to say it's the last week of July, first week of August in that time frame, but it's a pretty significant year to host it because Annika is turning 50 oh. and that's the year that they get to play in the senior women's open. So I, wow. I think that the folks wow. down at Brooklawn are really hoping that, you know, probably the most popular women's player of all time is, Absolutely. you know, eligible and is going to come compete. So that would be amazing. Um, That'd be huge. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So it'll draw, you know, draw pretty, hopefully, you know, hopefully right. we'll be past a lot of this stuff come the summer and we'll be able to have crowds out there. And yeah, you know, so that'll be, it'll be fun. Well, if that happens, we're going to try and get a media pass or something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we'll, have, we'll get Sam on that for you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. for sure. Um, so I saw, I saw on the website, you guys are affiliated with the first T of Connecticut. Mm -hmm. What do you guys, what do you guys do with them? So, um, early on the, the first T was actually the Connecticut state golf associations foundation. Um, so it, you know, spun off of the CSGA and became, um, you know, our foundation wing and then merged with a group in, in Hartford that was part of the first T. And so then ever since, you know, they've kind of, we've obviously split off and they do their, their thing and we do our thing. But mm-hmm. for my first seven or eight years, we shared an office space. We shared administrative assistance. We shared printers. We shared everything. I mean, even for my first year, the executive director of the CSGA and the first T was the same person. Oh, wow. So, you know, obviously they've grown to one of the bigger first tees in the country. Um, it's a really outstanding chapter. Mark and his team do an amazing job reaching out to all the kids and you know, putting on all the programs. My son was in one of their programs two years ago. He loved it. Um, awesome. So he caught the bug, which was nice. Um, so, but, you know, for the most part now our you know, somebody from our organization does sit on their board, um, you know, and obviously we help them out financially. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we give them a pretty sizable, uh, donation every single year. So, you know, that's part of what we do, you know, give back to a lot of these local entities, just like the CWGA and Snuga we talked to before, you know, we provide, you know, monetary grants to, you know, other organizations where we can't really get our hands in and really help out, but we want to make sure that, you know, we use all the funds that we have to make sure that the you know game is still growing. Yeah. It's cool. It's cool to hear about because we're all, you know, we're, we want to, associate with with groups like that helping young kids we both have kids ourselves and uh hopefully they'll be getting the itch soon um which my girls my girls are already too kind of debatable though frank i never really said this because like if they golf are we going to be able to golf like i i don't know that's how i see it that's how that's how i see it 
Right. Yeah, I guess so. I just don't want it to take, it may sound selfish, but I want to take away from myself. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, But you get to give, you get to give mom a break from time to time and go out and do what you love. Like nothing better than that. Right. Exactly. I agree. Yeah. Well, what else you got, Frank? I think we, I think we roll in the rapid fire. I'm interested to hear, to hear what courses Ryan, uh, Ryan's are out there. For sure. Um, so we have our rapid fire, uh, we usually do random questions and stuff, be, but be, since you have such uh, course knowledge in Connecticut, um, they're basically just going to be questions on those. So first answer that pops into your head and, uh, and we'll, then we'll get you out of here. All right. All right. So number one, uh, best course in the state that nobody really knows about. Most underrated course. Silver Spring. Where is that? In Ridgefield. Okay. Yeah, that's, I that's didn't even the, know about it. <laughs> yeah, it's the private. I, I don't live too far from there, and uh, it's the private course in Richfield. It, it is. I've driven past it, and it looks beautiful. So, <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a little gem. It's tucked away. It's not that. If you live down that way, it's obviously easy to get to, but it's kind of right in between two highways, like tucked mm-hmm. right away, and you got to go up and around the corner and down Main Street, USA, and and you would you know, have no, right there. I mean, you would, yeah, you would have no clue that it's tucked away back there. You just figure like just going down the back roads here. And then all of a sudden here's this, you know, immaculate country club. And, you know, they, they're, they're on schedule to host a bunch of stuff down the road for us. We're really excited for that, but you know, it's a place not too many people know about, you know, I think they probably like it that way. It's their own little private getaway. So that would probably be the one that I would pick. Great. All right. Number two, best overall public course. Yeah, this is gonna be this is for golf be, golf course just the golf course yep or overall experience i mean everything the I'm, gonna, whole... I'm gonna say connecticut national have you been up there in putnam that's an, that's it's another about one as far away from you guys as you can yeah. go from, <laughs> yeah you know, for, no easy we way haven't, to get there. uh i think somebody in our group has played there um but that's definitely been on the list for a little while and this year's gonna be a good one yeah so. it's a it's a great layout i mean there's a you could probably name several other ones, you know, Wintonberry's always up there. Wintonberry's phenomenal layout, about that. you know, but Connecticut national, just something about it. You know, you pull in, it's, you know, it's a gravel parking lot and small little clubhouse, but you get out on the golf course and when that fescue's blooming, it's, it's unbelievable. Nice. Cool. All right. Um, number three, hardest course in your opinion. For me or for you guys <laughs> or for or, I your mean, opinion. I'm, I'm, a, I'm like a 12 or 13 handicap these days anyway. So okay. for the, for so a championship, yeah, for us, a championship player or for us, for us, both, both do both. Oh I mean, yeah. Do both all right, for yeah. us. So, and then a championship player uh, for us. If you don't hit it 280, then Lake of Isles. Oh my God. Lake of Isles. There's just so many carries that if you don't hit it 275, you can't mm. get anywhere. So if you're playing from the tips, obviously, it you know, was that's probably the hardest one. I mean, that's hard for anybody realistically because even if you get on the right set of tees, it, it's a really hard golf course. Both of them are hard. The, the North, I think, is, you know, for me, the, the North is harder, but yeah. both of the golf courses are, are really extremely difficult. I played, I think I played the North and from the whites and it was the long, it felt like the longest course I've ever played in my life. And I had zero fun. I mean, <laughs> I had fun, but it was a different kind of fun. <laughs> right. Yeah, um, so, it, yeah, you know, I mean, the, for a championship player, I 
I'd probably have to say Weeburn. Um, okay. Where is Weeburn, that? It's in Darien. Um, you know, it's not, not super, super long or anything, but it's just, it's immaculate all the time and mm -hmm. their superintendent can basically do anything that he wants. And so we had the Connecticut open there a bunch of years ago and it was us open style rough. I mean, it was five, six inches laying over on itself. And if you didn't hit the fairway, you were hitting a gap wedge out 60 yards, wow. you know, if you were Jeez. lucky. So, you know, a place like that, you know, certainly. That's what do you what do you think we would shoot on that course <laughs> i think i went we went for setup one day and actually played and i think at the time i was like an eight handicap maybe mm -hmm. and i want to say i shot 93 wow and i thought it was like the greatest round of my life i mean that, <laughs> that 93 like, felt yeah, like i won the, felt like i won the u.s open <laughs> but I was, I was just hitting little bunt drives out there like 215 220 steering it in the middle of the fairway <laughs> that's but, great <laughs> all right uh question number four your favorite course my favorite course mm -hmm. to play yeah um I like Madison Country Club a lot. Nice. Um, that's probably where I'd have to. I mean, I guess it's I'll say that Madison Country Club, but, you know, more lately, it's been the Apple Nine at Lyman just because my son's into, you know, playing golf. So I like to go out with him. So, you know, it's fun. I mean, I, it's just a nice little place over at Lyman. And so it's perfect for, you know, he's only seven. So yeah. he hits at 75 or 80 yards. But so he can get up there and play around. So, you know, that's that type of thing is, you know, it's probably the funnest time that I have on the course. That's great. I love Lyman too. It's uh, I haven't been able to play the Apple Nine, but I definitely want to try and get up there. Just add it to the list. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, last question, and this is not golf or uh, golf course related, but your favorite lefty golf swing, and it could be anybody, amateur to pro, amateur or professional. So yeah. should I score some points and say that a couple guys on our board who are lefties? Yeah, I probably. I think, <laughs> I think you might have to. I thought you were going to lean towards the lefties lounge, but I mean, you can go, you can go that way too. <laughs> I, think, I think we have two lefties on our board, two former senior amateur champions on our board. Okay. Jack Bracken and uh, Ray Underwood. So I'll give them a shout out, but All right, if I had to go, go on tour, I'd probably go with, uh, I'd probably go with Brian Harmon. Yeah, that's a nice. Yeah, one. I always like the guys, you know. This he's always fiery. He's out there. Oh, yeah. Plus, when he made those two hole in ones in the same nine <laughs> at Barclays a couple of years ago, that was, was ridiculous, un unbelievable. <laughs> and he seems like the guy, like you know, like the Kisners that you could just have a beer with afterwards. Yeah, and, all and those, all those I Georgia like those guys, guys, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. yeah. 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 All right, man. Well, that uh, I think I think we've covered a lot. We've learned about a lot more about the the CSGA, and and really appreciate your time, man. Yeah, happy to do it, guys. Thanks for having me on. Awesome. Thanks, Ryan. Appreciate it. All right. Talk to you soon. Thanks again, Ryan, for sitting down with us and giving everyone a better perspective on what the CSGA does. It was great talking with you and can't wait to try and get out there um, and work in some events together in the future. As always, we were produced by Deuce Productions. Big shout out to Deuce. If you're liking this podcast and have a second, subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at the.lefties.lounge. And if you want to get in touch with us about anything, uh, if you have a good idea for a pod or really any questions that you have, uh, you can email us at theleftiesloungegolf at gmail.com. That's theleftiesloungegolf at gmail.com. 
Thanks again. Hope you enjoyed this episode and we'll see you next week.